welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of That Creative Life. Nick Sharma, it is such a pleasure to have you. You are a three-peat guest, I think. Three-peat, yeah. Twice with David. Yeah, which... First oh, is this solo. your first, first solo? solo? yep. Ooh, Nick putting on his big boy Sorry, pants. Sorry, David. <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny because David FaceTimed you. Right as I walked right in Right as studio. you walked in. Yep. Um, so Nick's and David episodes, the the first two, are some of people's favorites. I think the first I one... I still get DMs and yeah. texts to this day from people. Yeah, I think like it, heard it really resonated with people. So I'm so excited to have you back. Give a little few sentence um, bio on yourself, and then we'll hop into marketing, DTC, and all things branding. Perfect. So the quick spiel, um, I'm 24. Um, I, I always forget you're younger than me, Nick. I am... I'm used to you. being the young person in the room. <laughs> Sorry. Gosh. <laughs> I'm 24. I, uh, I was never the, the, the brightest one in high school. And so, um, you know, I got very interested in marketing very early on. Um, when I was in 10th or 11th grade, I started working with celebrities on their social media marketing. And so, you know, working with Pitbull and Priyanka Chopra and launching um, this band called Magic and basically helping them kind of relate to social media culture, I guess, um, in ways that were, it was not being used in. And so after high school, I moved to San Francisco and joined an ad tech company very early on, kind of learned the ins and outs of data and artificial intelligence and advertising, programmatic advertising, machine learning, all that kind of stuff. And, um, just got really fascinated by the whole world of advertising, um, both, you know, from a macro level and also very tactically. And after that, I ended up joining a company called Hintwater, which you might be familiar with, Mm -hmm. and um, basically led their direct-to-consumer growth there for about two years. Um, Left Hintwater and went to VaynerMedia um, and built, or not built, but like joined their team there to head up D2C, direct-to-consumer. And just kind of realized that the agency vibe wasn't really my vibe. I was very much used to getting my hands dirty every day. And at the agency side, you're more doing client work. And so I decided that I would leave VaynerMedia and try to join something early stage. But in the process, I still had to pay rent because Manhattan ain't cheap. I just moved back. So, yeah. We all know. Yeah. And so so I started consulting. And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to have basically an inbox full of people who wanted to do projects together. And so I started picking and choosing ones that I wanted to work on. The first one was launching a, um, you know, kind of a lemonade brand called Lemon Perfect out in L.A. The second was um, with Chacha Matcha, which is a cafe in New York and L.A., launching their iced tea lemonades and building out their direct-to-consumer business. And then after that, it was just a slew of brands from the Pill Club to uh, Poopery to Orgain Protein to Super Coffee to House to you know, all these brands, um, mainly helping them in three ways, either A, launch, B, scale, or C, replatform to digital or kind of get them jump-started if they're a bigger retail brand and they need to get their e-commerce going. And then this year I decided, um, so I I didn't end up joining a company, (laughs) kept doing the consulting, and this year I decided I would start hiring people. And so now Sharma Brands is about a team of 10 people, And so we basically invest in 
um, and or operate uh, brands and help them on their digital platform. So um, brands from Caraway to Judy to uh, House to Sanzo, Brightland, Poopery, Orgain, um, Pill Club, all these kinds of brands we work with to basically help them get to the next level on the direct consumer side of things. Mm -hmm. It's fun to hear a brand like Poopery who's actually been around the block. They've and been around. Yeah, because yeah. usually it's the brands that are, you know, it's exciting, they're new, you see them on Instagram, and they're kind of the Instagram brand, they, right. they try to figure out how to grow serifying. beyond that, but Poopery, I remember seeing those commercials with that proper yep, uh, redhead lady. Bethany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they. how has that differed, uh, you know, taking a brand that's a little bit more established, bringing them to these digital digital platforms, the only platforms that we care about, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, how, how's that been different from the other brands? It's very different because you're working with a brand that has built that credibility already. And it's more about how do you, instead of like building the brand and building the awareness and then trying to get the sale, it's a lot more focused around how do you leverage the credibility that's existed um, but really optimize every other piece of it. So how do you optimize the creative? How do you optimize the media buying, the offers and merchandising on the site, the landing pages, the cart experiences, the retention, um, you know, the emails, the SM, like there's so many pieces to it. Um, it's honestly, it's not crazy different than launching a brand other than, um, you know, you have some credibility to go off of. And I would say a lot of the brands that we do launch um, Judy being the most recent one, um, Which, very quickly. Amazing pick up. timing, by the way. Can yeah, you explain <laughs> what Judy is? Yeah, so Judy is a digitally connected emergency preparedness brand. And so um, Simon Huck, who's the CEO and founder, basically just over the last two years had been seeing a ton of his friends, um, you know, be affected with different situations from bumps and bruises and not having a proper first aid kit at home all the way to. Um, you know, uh, tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes and just not being prepared or not knowing what to do. And so, um, you know, he decided that this was a space that he wanted to play in. And so he basically worked with uh, like very legit disaster experts over the last couple of years. And, um, and then of course layered in the beautiful branding on top. Um, but basically created this kit that is sustainable for 72 hours. So if you are in an earthquake and your power goes out, your, you know, your house falls, if you have your Judy, you're good with food and water and bandages and all that for about 72 hours for a family of four. Um, so, and then there's a the whole digital component of there's like SMS alerts. There are digital guides. There are, you know, we have video content, written content. Um, basically the goal is to help prepare Americans, whether or not they buy a kit or not. Um, we want to create a brand that helps people get prepared. Mm -hmm. And fast forward a month after Judy launched. Yeah, we launched on January 28th. And then, yeah, and fast then forward COVID almost basically happened. a month. Yeah, and I instantly bought one because there was, there was a moment where we really didn't know what to expect. No. I, just because of my dad, he was paying attention very closely to what was happening in China. So beginning of February, I was already like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? And I noticed that the basics I did not have. I didn't even have water bottles, which, you know, at 
the home, we just drink out of the sink because New York City's water is clean. And also, water bottles do expire. Really? Yeah. So the water that we provide is actually shelf-stable for five years versus normal water bottles actually Why do they expire? I don't know. I think it has to do with the way that it's preserved and also the packaging. Interesting. Yeah, so I didn't even have the basics. So it was really handy to have kind of that one thing by to have where, okay, food, water, good to go. So what a time. You mentioned who did their branding. Is there like one company that does all of these brands? Branding? There's there's definitely a couple. So okay. there's, there's probably like three main ones I can name off the top of my head. Um, Red Antler is kind of the OG. Red okay. Antler and Gin Lane. Those are the top two OGs. And we've had Emmett Shine on this podcast. Right. So mm-hmm. Emmett is uh, the founder, former founder of Gin Lane and now the founder of Pattern Brands. But, you know, Emmett's done Harry's and Quip and uh, Smile Direct Club. Um, Red Antler has done the Caspers, the Allbirds, mm-hmm. um, Judy, um, Otherland. But, yeah, they're, those are kind of the two... OG, they're like the Rolls Royces in the in the garage, you could say. Um, another one that I work with very frequently, um, which I think has been doing a fantastic job, is Pointer Creative. Okay. They're based out of Canada, and they started as like a dev shop, but now they do. I mean, they're the most underrated design and and branding firm I've. So they basically with. make all of those initial assets. They do the exactly. logo, the branding. They have all of the graphics that they can then hand off to people or agencies or companies like you and hit the ground running with content and with direction and figuring out what platforms are you going to focus your money on? What do you, is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it all of the above? What is the first line of attack when it comes to these brands? Well, it depends on your funding situation. So if you are well capitalized, you will most likely start with um, Facebook, Instagram, and Google. That's kind of the go-to. If you are not extremely capitalized, I always recommend uh, Product Hunt is like my first place to go. I love those because guys Because it's over free. There. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible community. Um, and, you know, the other day even, I uh, one of my portfolio companies is Brightland Olive Oil, and we launched Vinegar. And I was like, you know, we should probably just put it on Product Hunt and see what happens. It's not a tech product. It's Vinegar. Yeah. But it ended up being the number one product for the day. It drove revenue. It drove traffic. It, you know, built awareness. And um, people can come in and basically just chat with the founders, as you know, in the comments. Mm-hmm. And so, um, really you know, website. I think Product Hunt is like, Product Hunt was the first place we put Judy, too. Really? Yeah. Wow. Just launched on Product Hunt. Um, and for those who don't know, Product Hunt is a fun website to just frequent every now and then as a consumer. Because you really get to see some of these, like, cutting edge products that come out and a lot of times the founders will have q a's and you can interact with people and it's it's really great for both sides it's not as spammy either as other websites it's really well like curated and um and i guess not audited but moderated yeah 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 and we'll we'll get to everyone's questions because we have a lot of twitter questions because i i know with this everyone is curious Okay, but what can I apply to my brand? This is great. So I want to spend a few more minutes just on these brands that you work with. Because mm-hmm. for me, I know inspiration always comes from different industries, from different things. So what what these people are doing with a lot of capital, I, I think, can also apply to creators, people building businesses. 
And I think that is the unique factor, capital, right? These people have VC money. They might have backing of uh, people who have knowledge in this space. But what's great about podcasts, what's great about having you on today is this is all free knowledge. Nick is pimping out his community number uh, for you people today. We have an entire deck for everybody in the PT So talk about that. Yeah, so basically I put together a – because not everybody might listen through Mm – but I wanted to make sure we could give everybody something. And so if you text the word peachy to 917-905-2340, it's about a 40-page deck on how to launch a brand from scratch um, with minimal capital. So you don't have to have all the money in the world. You can, and it would still apply. But um, that's a deck where people can go through, and at their own pace, it kind of has everything from how to reach out to PR or reporters, how to reach out to influencers, what to send influencers when you send them product, you know, how to tell them to shoot for you, um, all the apps you should use uh, when building your site. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Nick. I'll put of that course. in the description below. We were laughing before because our history, I did one or two videos for Hint Water, and they still send water to us today for. If you guys are watching on the video, I'm kind of always drinking Hint or some sort of seltzer. I got hooked. Mm-hmm. I, I was a Dr. Pepper drinker. So anything with fizz that doesn't have sugar. And then sugar, LaCroix. Yep, yep. So yeah, it, was, you. it was LaCroix, then Hint. And then I got some of that lemon stuff. Lemon Perfect. Lemon Perfect. That is so good. But so the delicious. only problem with that is it actually does expire. It does, yeah. So and I you come, have to keep it in a fridge right now. Exactly. Yeah. I come in and out of the office so often. Yeah that it just didn't work out with yeah. shipments. Um, and then there's so many other, what's the, they have a peach flavor too. Ugly. In, in the cans, yes. Ugly, right? Yes. Blue can? Yes. Yeah. Because, and this is a total tangent, I'm looking more to brands that don't use plastic bottles just because right. it's like, it just feels bad, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Aluminum, you know, it's just infinitely recyclable. So, any anyone who does it in aluminum cans and kind of like oh maybe that's better anyways but there's so many brands out there with water anyways we first met uh via a hint ad that i did mm-hmm. for hint and it wasn't to my main audience on instagram or twitter but it was a one minute video that was posted to facebook and they put ad spend behind it and i basically kind of explained what hint is kind of showed it in my life And you guys put a ton of paid media behind it, millions of views, and you sold the crap out of Hint Water. So for the people who might understand surface level influencers, okay, Sarah has an audience on YouTube, so then brands pay her to advertise their product, influencer marketing. There's a whole other level, you know, beyond that of using influencers for paid media as well which can be a component of influencer marketing. Maybe you have a YouTube video that's sponsored. Um, You know, it's on my channel. But hey, maybe you put, you also want ads for Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So explain that side of things. Because that's what I don't talk about as much because I'm so busy with my YouTube channel. That could be an entirely different part of my brand that I could do more of. (laughs) Which we always talk about. But at the end of the day, you know, I think my focus is just on different things, but it's such a huge thing for people with personalities, people with content creation skills. Holy smokes, this is a way they can really help brands help their own brand get attention. Sorry. Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple steps before that too. So one was 
the fact that um, I quickly identified you had LaCroix in all of your videos yep. and it was even at one point your header photo on Twitter. Yeah, I loved it. And I was so it was my goal <laughs> to basically get you off of LaCroix. <laughs> and and so, you know what actually got me was the fact that you, uh, you <laughs> Hint had still water as well. Right. Um, which, because I'm always, fizzy gets a little, uh, what's called, anti-acid, uh, what's Acid it? reflux? Acid reflux. Refluxing. Yeah, sometimes I get some of that. Yeah. So, no, I feel that. Yeah. Um, so I think the, you know, initially it was, it was almost what you could consider like vetting the content creator. Um, I, I had already watched your videos before and I knew you were a really good vlogger. You had also built a following because you're really good at speaking to an audience through a camera, which, um, which is basically the trick for creating good ads. And so when I saw you were drinking all this LaCroix, um, you know, a mutual friend of ours gave me your address not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you, I think, like a hundred bottles of Hint water, um, mostly peach, and it was just. And we didn't even know each other at that point, but very quickly I saw on your Twitter, your Instagram stories, and even in a YouTube video that I think over-indexed for views that specific video, um, you had plugged Hint in as just something that you truly enjoyed the product. And you're so, vlogging five times a day. Any Daily content will we'll make it. I remember yeah. this was During about time, a, it was about a hard drive <laughs> failing. Oh God! Uh, yeah. And I think it got like a hundred thousand views in a week. It was insane. So funny, probably because I did a really sad face. Probably, so I probably <laughs> crushed it. But when I was vlogging five times a week, it was the thing of I'm filming everything in the day. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! Someone sent me, you know, five boxes of free water. What's that about? Let's taste it. Oh, tasty. Moving right. on to the next thing, right. you know. So but there was this yeah. whole montage you did and it it um and then we connected on Twitter and we had some back and forth between Hint and you on Twitter and it was just a very organic like it, it wasn't like we were paying you be- right. to post or talk about the product. You genuinely liked the product. And so that's when I, you know, reached out and said, "Hey, let's actually do something mm-hmm. where we can sponsor a piece of content." But in my mind, you know, I focus more on the paid media side of things. And so, um, you know, there will be days where if we're spending $30,000 a day in ads, we can reach tens of millions of people. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily pay for a video that might get 100,000 views. I want to see how I can leverage Sarah's personality and the way she talks to the camera and her likeness for the brand. Turn that into a video that we, you know, we chop up. Um, your your video editor actually, and then um, and then we run it through Facebook ads using your page and your Instagram profile, mm-hmm. but coming from the dollars of Hints Media, and so it was essentially taking content you created and we pushed it out and amplified it, I guess, with advertising, and you know we had a it was basically a video we tested I think like fifty or sixty different variations of copy. We found the one that worked best. We had that one posted to your page. There was a very clear link. It was like hint.co slash Sarah. Um, Everything was very fluid in that sense. And then it went to a landing page. There was a very clear offer. People could come in. It was one page they had to read. They learned everything about the product, and then they were out. And so it was basically, you know, in hindsight, it was cheaper than anything we would pay for a video shoot or for a campaign video to be created and then run. Um, it was also something that was very native within people's social feeds. 
So instead of seeing something with like a beautiful background and well lit, you know, shot or whatever, it was just you kind of popping up in people's social feeds being like, hey, I drink hint. This is why. It's very native to the platform. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, that's still something we do today where we will work with either content creators or even just, you know, um, just general user generated content. Like, there are so many opportunities where. Um, you know, people are like, how do I make creative for free? Or how do I get creative done really cheaply? You just prop up your iPhone, you make sure that you you have like a square within your screen that you're recording in, and you film, and then you go to your computer, you chop out, you know, you, you, you stitch it together, and then you add subtitles, and that's an ad right there. As easy as it is to, hey, just do X, Y, Z, there is a certain aspect of it. Having someone who does know how to talk to a camera Having someone who it's the hardest part. can be natural on camera because as much as you want it to come off as an everyday person, you right. know, the girl next door, there is a certain level of knowledge or experience that comes into it where you can be comfortable in front of the camera doing those things. Yeah. And I think it takes a little bit of work to find those people. But what's great about this way of doing influencer marketing, paid media these people don't need to be 5 million subscriber right. YouTube stars. These people can maybe be actors who maybe never made it big, but they're really, they have a really great presence on camera. Right. You know, they can be Joe Schmo from a down, down the street that's just charismatic and yeah. knows how, you know, to light up a room and that translates to camera. So there's a lot of different people. It, it just opens up the, the scope. Totally. Of people you can use because now you're not worrying about the 20 biggest YouTubers in this space. You're like, oh, okay. Let me open up my eyes to the people around me who I go to work with every day. Right. It really, I mean, it's just a whole nother top world. three performing um, creators, you could say, right now for user-generated content are people who are just absolute, they've never done content in their life. But when they, are, when they try a product that we work with or they can get passionate about mm-hmm. a product... Um, it just, it kind of just makes itself happen. Yeah. Um, can you speak to one recent and like an anecdote from one of your brands, whether it's Judy or any of these other brands that really made an ad shine and kind of for people at home that really need this broken down to them, was it a 30 second video? Did they seem happy, bubbly? Was there a lot of editing? Uh, can you maybe speak to you know whether it's judy or that's like the only brand that i can remember just because i bought it but (laughs) (laughs) i know you work with a lot of brands yeah so with judy we actually had one with christina who um who we all love and that one did really well but christina has been doing this for a while so she she is like the goat she just nails it every time she knows exactly what to do A, a one that was more like i guess you could say amateur um, one of my employees, Carly, we, we, uh, so one of our portfolio companies is hydrant, which is an electrolyte mix. And the, the goal was, you know, I saw them promoting a ton of, they just raised a round and they had some athletes join. And so they were using athletes as their creative. And I would text the founder and be like, Hey dude, like these are great athletes, but I don't care about athletes when I'm trying to understand what your product is. Um, do you mind if we create some UGC ads and you guys can run them? And so, you know, first we decided what's the offer we want to sell. Um, because everything from the video all the way to 
the offer they buy has to be extremely consistent. Secondly, then what we did is we sent a variety of the product to this girl, Carly, who works for me. And we said, hey, these are the value props that we want to focus on. And the way we decided which value props to focus on, we literally went through probably 500 reviews on the website. Um, or if you don't have reviews, you can just ask people what are their top you know, few favorite things. And you start putting a tally next to each thing. So is it the flavor? Okay. Is it the fact that there's no sugar added? Okay. Is it the fact that it's, you know, um, it's not whatever it is. And, and then you have this kind of descending checklist from top to bottom of, okay, these are the people, these are the things people care about most who are customers versus these are the things that maybe we were focusing on that people don't really care about as much. And so, so then we create this, a cheat sheet basically, which has kind of all the bullet points to hit. And, um, and then you basically start filming. So she puts her iPhone up. It's a combination of actually speaking to the camera as well as shooting what someone might call B-roll, which is basically just, you know, um, showing like the product being poured in and the thing being mixed in the cup. Um, but like Carly's never done this before and she's never, she's never made a YouTube video. Like she, she was, a uh, she was at a PR firm before and then, you know, now she has like 150 followers maybe, <laughs> but it was just the, it was just kind of the natural, like she very quickly understood the benefits of the product herself as a person, which is why I always think it's so easy when people launch brands, it is, it's easiest for them to get on camera and say, this is basically why I started it. Um, but then you just go through the value props, you make sure it feels natural um, you know, there's definitely a, a bit of a learning curve, as you mentioned, like speaking to a camera and maybe looking at yourself talk and maybe you don't like to see it, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's just a, a lot more of a natural way to communicate, mm -hmm. especially in an ad. Um, and it's also the cheapest way to produce content. So why did you go with her instead of the athletes? So why not have a little bit of the star power, but also, Hey, this is, LeBron James talking to me and oh my gosh that grabbed my attention but yeah. it seems like he's just talking to me like a human wait what is he drinking yeah so what what are the what are the differences so so there's a couple differences one there's definitely a difference between what I would call analog influencers and digital influencers um, analog influencers are your people who got famous kind of off digital platforms whether it was through TV movies sports and then digital influencers are people like yourself who, who gained a following through digital channels. Um, and so analog influencers tend to not perform the best. They're also, if you think about the smarter consumers nowadays, they, they understand that, oh, this person's getting, you know, a nice check um, because they're an athlete or because they, you know, they walk the red carpet every day. Versus with digital influencers, um, there's a bit more transparency into their daily life. So you can, it's, you can almost suss out if something is really just they're getting a check or they're passionate about it, and that's why they decided to strike a partnership. Um, but separate from that, you know, I think the main answer to your question is it was more of it, – it wasn't necessarily like this is the only plan we're going with. It's, okay, this is working for you guys or maybe not working as well. Let's just add it on top as a test, and let's just test and see what happens. And very quickly, they saw their acquisition costs going down um, because 
because it was a lot more relatable because in a in a way that didn't it goes feel back like to the vibe of oh my neighbor pam recommended exactly. this and that's why i feel like i can trust it it's exactly. going back to that and it doesn't look like trust. like a billboard in your feed right? Right, right if you're scrolling through instagram and you're seeing your friends and whatnot you know you don't want to be hit with like a billboard mm-hmm. you want to be hit with something that's native to the feed that you're scrolling in right right yeah this podcast is sponsored by Acer and their new Acer Concept D7 Easel. This laptop, guys, is insane. If you follow me on YouTube, I just did a video about it. So I will link the video as well as a link to the laptop in the show notes below if you want to check it out. But this is the two-in-one of all two-on-ones. So not only does it have, of course, a touch screen, it has all of the ports and SD card slot, all of the USB ports. I mean, it's it's the laptop that basically gives creators video, photo, design, everything that they want in one. So not only does it have the latest Intel Core i7, i9 processors and NVIDIA GeForce RTX 28 super graphics cards, the availability of up to 32 gigabytes of RAM, it also has an easel display. So it's a 4K touch display that it's hard to describe in words. So again, I'll link the video down in the show notes below. You can use it as an easel. So you can bring the screen down, tilt it to whatever angle you like. In my video, you'll see it exported a 15 minute YouTube video from Premiere in only a minute and 50 seconds. That is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. So make sure to check out the links in the show notes below if you're curious about this new kind of laptop that honestly blows my mind and changes the way that I think about laptops and my creation process. Okay, back to the pod. What is the balance of like doing both? Because I think a good example is a brand Calm, the Calm app. Right. They have kind of, they they do a good job of doing both where they'll have this really big celebrity come read you a bedtime story. And I think it's a meditation app and among those things, you know, different things of LeBron James reading you a (laughs) a bedtime story. Recently, they announced that they're going to have Harry Styles. Right read you a bedtime story so imagine the fandom when this you know because harry is a different level of celebrity and that he has that following that is ride or die 13 year old to 25 year old girl just oh my god people love him right right? so when they announce that and you're gonna have harry styles tickling your ear with a bedtime story everyone lost it right right and so There is definitely a middle ground, and they've already done a good job with teasing it even before it's out, you know. So what is the difference between that brand? Does it depend on the type of company? Of course, they have a ton of money to spend if they're hiring Harry Styles. Is that the differentiator? Yeah, I think there's – so there's a couple of things. Um, One, capital, obviously, right? If you have – a ton of capital. There's there's different ways to deploy it. You also, you know, you you can't overspend in a specific channel at some level, um, and so you have to find ways to diversify that spend. The other thing too is, you know, Com went really hard on performance advertising pretty much out the gate, which is how they amass such a big um, user base. But what this does now is this gets me and you talking about it, who aren't even on the app. And maybe the follow-up ad that comes from them is a lot more focused on what we might go on the app for. 
but this this creates that, that awareness. didn't make me download the app. Right, I'm but still it gets not using calm it. on your radar. Right, right. So now so when that's it comes when the to follow up, exactly, comes and they whether got it's a the follow up yeah. or whether it's you know you're feeling stressed and you're like I got to meditate. Um, you're not going to go to Headspace because right. you didn't hear about it because right. they didn't have that partnership. You heard about Calm because of Harry Styles and LeBron. Right. And, and that's so, when that's the side of influencer marketing that is more synonymous with TV and billboards. It's the non-trackable side of things. Right. Cause I think that's why influencer marketing and DTC and paid media is so great because it is trackable for the first time. Of course in TV, you know, they would have a phone number you could call right. promo links. Exactly. Uh, but codes. you know, this is the first means of marketing where it, there's so much data, super trackable. You have bitlies. You can, to the T, track what people are doing. If they click the link, but they abandon checkout, they click the link, they checked out, you know, with one thing, but they had two things. Um, but then this is the other side of it to where it's more of that brand building, right? Right. So maybe those those really big stars are for the same reasons why maybe you would still make a TV commercial or why you would do kind of that more high-level marketing because it is the okay, it's in my brain now. Right. So if I'm really stressed and I, hey, maybe I need to meditate, then right. that's when that comes into play, but it's not necessarily trackable. Exactly. How do you balance that with brands, trackable and non-trackable things? Because yeah. I imagine people want to see results. They want to see results. They want to see that bottom line moving, Nick. Yeah. Well, on the brand side, there are things you can do. There are brand lift studies. There are ad recall studies. You can do certain types of studies that help you understand is something working or not. However, um, you know, at some point you have to do it, right? It's the same reason that um, Casper started only online. Then they decided, all right, we're going to create stores. And then they decided we're going to go to Target. Have they made money yet, though? They have not made money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the awkward thing that it's you have so to talk awkward. about at some point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but if we let's talk about like um, like Harry's, for example. Yeah. Right. So they you know, it's basically channel expansion at some level. So, you know, where a lot of people tend to go wrong is they only focus on, OK, Facebook ads and making money, but they forget all the things around it, whether it's um, whether it's building brand equity, whether it's investing in customer service, whether it's building great content, whether it's expanding channels, because also at some level you will not max out a channel like Facebook, but you you start to get inefficient if you're spending, let's say, you know, $100,000 a day. You will start to see that your spend becomes a little more inefficient. Um, and so you do have to test other channels. Um, with Judy even this week, we're launching TV. Um and it's because of the same thing. You want to, well, one, it creates that brand equity, right? As a brand new company, we're now on TV. We're getting in front of a ton more people. It gives Facebook, on the lower funnel side of things, a lot more room to now capture people in who become aware of the brand and almost sweep them in. It's like, so you want to think about brand building is more top of funnel stuff. It like, you know, uh, puts the dust everywhere. And then your Facebook and Google and Snapchat and Instagram, they're the more Snatches bottle of funnel. Up. Yeah, they go out and they sweep them in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, let's get into some questions. Let's do it. And then we'll, because you have talking points here, so I don't want to, he did more. Yeah, I feel like we, we Are we, we Are we chatted. checking them off here? Yeah, honestly. Did we miss anything? We didn't miss too many things. I think um, the only thing on the other side of, of investing outside of just user acquisition is also 
making sure that you build the other side of things, which is like how do you how do you build um, I guess products or or practices within your brand to keep giving. So mm-hmm. like my go to ones are things like optimizing user experience. Um, you know what does that mean? Meaning whether it's like building a better website or a a better email flow, right? You want to have, you want to give customers the best possible experience. Don't waste their time. Don't waste their time. I always I'm say, I'm amazed if people can just nail customer service. You've already won. Oh, I mean, literally, 100%. just this past week, I had such a nightmare of an experience with my moving company, and I'm holding back all of my being to not say what their name is. Um, but it was just such a terrible experience, and I'm like. Never again. Right. Literally and you'll never, never recommend again. it. No, I'll never Whereas recommend it. Whereas when you tweeted Except, about it, yeah. I, I had a great experience with mine, and yes. I have no problem yes. replying and saying, use these guys. Mm-hmm. Except, you know what it does make me want to talk about? The moving company that I used before them right. called Blue Moving. Right. And they had such a simple branding, and their truck was air-conditioned. Amazing. So when I was like watching my stuff, because um, they only had three guys, I was able to sit in their truck and That's amazing. sip a tea in the air-conditioned truck that was so clean, too. These people... I think they brought a cockroach with them. Oh, no. So it better not be the apartment. It yeah. was when we w- did the rug anyways. I'm digressing. Blue Moving, they were so good, but they were too expensive. So I went with this other brand that was like $700 cheaper. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pinching myself because I should have just gone with them. Right. You know? Anyways, customer service, guys. Yeah, Continue. customer service, <laughs> customer experience. <clears throat> I always like to say... Um, I mean, I've never met Kim Kardashian, but if you, if Kim Kardashian's walking the red carpet and you are her assistant on the red carpet and there's a ton of cameras on her, you have to think of yourself as the brand, as the assistant and your customer is Kim on the red carpet. You have to do anything and everything. You cannot expect them to, you know, go figure out what the product is about or why they need it. You have to supply all that information. So I think user experience, I think the platform and technology that you you know, essentially live on, whether it's Shopify, whether it's making sure that you have the proper post-purchase emails mm-hmm. um, and following communication. What's up with email right now? Because I hate Email's email. Email's popping. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I think I'm the one person on this planet that just doesn't check my email. So I, I personally have, don't either. I have five <clears throat> names starred in my Apple mail, so I'll only get notifications for that, and I only answer theirs, and I pray to God my manager captures maybe like 20% of my deal flow, and then I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cross my fingers. Yeah. I mean, email is, is it's, it's such a beast of a channel. There are... Um, you know, there's definitely people like I would say myself too. I don't necessarily open a lot of emails, but I mean, a lot of the brands we work with, um, you know, our email open rates are anywhere from 25 to 40%, um, which, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but, um, it just never will be either, but it's, it's a great way to, it's, it's a, a great way to communicate with your customer essentially. Um, you know, without being like overly, uh, annoying, right? If you're constantly texting them or DMing them, that might get annoying. Um, but email is kind of an, a platform that's understood as I accept to receive a bunch of emails here. Right. And for the brands that I love, I will go through and as I'm deleting them, I might open that one. Right. Yeah. And what goes into in 2020, a good email? Are you providing value and then an ask or is it because it's so understood? You can just go straight for the ask. And is it minimalistic? Because the moment I exit out of stuff is if there's like crazy pop-up stuff and it's, it's just, it can get too much sometimes. 
Yeah, I'm a fan of very simple, very to the point. I think if, you know, I can speak for the brands we work with, if you purchase something, we will follow up with education or information that gives you more insight into the product, maybe the founder, maybe the story behind the brand, Um, but not necessarily going for an ask. The only time you go for an ask is if you're running something that you think would would be beneficial to the customer. So, for example, if you if you're an avid hint water drinker and they are, you know, looking to run a promotion where it's a dollar a bottle where it's normally, you know, a dollar 40 or something, that's something that customers would appreciate getting an email for versus right versus getting just random emails of, hey, check this product out, check that product out. Um, It has to, you know, really with any marketing for any of it to work, whether it's email or text or whatever, you have to figure out how is this piece of content or communication beneficial to the person who's receiving it instead of thinking about it as, oh, okay, this is my revenue channel. I'm going to, you know, spam this list with revenue uh, or with the goal of acquiring revenue um, because those things just never work. Mm-hmm. It's why it's why when people do those email giveaways with other brands and you enter mm-hmm. in to win a trip somewhere and everybody gets their emails, you know, those never work because nobody is putting their email in to then get an email from a brand. They're putting their email in, maybe they'll win a trip, but then they start getting emails from brands that. and they end up being the worst types of campaigns to run. Right, right. And so, yeah, basically in the end, any kind of marketing communication has to provide value to whoever's receiving it. And it's up to you to figure out how that value is uh, given. Mm-hmm. I know I'm being selfish here. One more question and we'll get into <laughs> other people. There's this thing people are talking about right now where they, they feel like we're in a DTC bubble, right? Yeah. There's infinite amount of Instagram brands that are just hitting everyone from every which way. Oh, it's a bubble. Oh my gosh, it's just too much. I would like to say as someone who never answers her email, but in some form or fashion is always on social media. I'm trying to draw it back in the state of the world because I've never been an anxious person in my entire life, but I found myself having anxiety attacks for the first time, which yeah. is really new and great. Uh, had to, uh, I'm drinking more fizzy water instead of white claws and truly because <laughs> I'm like, why does everything have alcohol in it all right. of a sudden? And yeah. I'm just like pounding them back every day. I'm like, ah, I should probably chill. Anyways, with these brands, I feel like there is a opportunity to market to the generation that is me. I feel like I am the prime DTC customer because I don't have these existing brands that I know to go to. When it comes to dishes, when it comes to pans, I'll just stroll down to Target and like, yeah, this will work. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I don't know what the brands are with that. So you Caraway. mentioned Caraway. There was a, another brand that is similar to Caraway. Our Place or Great Jones? Our Equal Place. Parts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Equal Parts is uh, Emmett's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's crushing it. I got a ad for a peach pan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they knew, but John and I are going hard on our dumpling game right okay. now. So that's pretty much the only thing that we or I cook. They're right. super easy. But this pan, it was like cute and peach and it had just the, you know, all you have to do is one cool thing. They have a little notch where you can place your spatula on the pan. And beyond that, it also comes with a, uh, like a basket to steam your dumplings in. Right. Oh, so cool. I would use this every night. And then they upsold me too 
where I went to the website and then I started looking at all these cool plates that they had and bowls. And then they had a package with these really cool cups. And I'm like, oh, we use these dinky plastic cups. If someone, if we're going to entertain post COVID, we have to have cool plates and cool, you know, cups to drink. I literally checked out. It was probably like $375 later. Yeah. Where I had a cool pan, a co- you know, a whole set of things. And I was so excited to risk it because they're so cute and functional. And I was like, that is something I didn't know that I needed. I probably would have never spent that money on something. But because it draw my eye in and it was, it looked cool, but also seemed functional. Holy smokes. There is probably 50 other things that I'm not thinking about now. You know, you mentioned olive oil. Right. Maybe I need to get on an olive oil subscription. Yeah. I don't know because yeah. we use olive oil a lot for cooking. Yeah. You know, do I need a whole basket of things like this? I think it's still just the beginning. So what? where do you think we are on the spectrum of obviously there's four brands for every one pan. Right. You know, Caraway. Oh, what's, what's called? Our Open, Place. Our Place. Jones. That's what I think I got the Our Place ones. Yeah. Where are we on the spectrum of it really started popping maybe five years ago? We've reached some maturity with some of these brands. Is there hope for someone who has an idea? It'll maybe come to fruition in three years. Is it going to be too late then? See, I don't think so. I think what we saw initially was what we were just recently discussing, which is brands that raise a ton of money and didn't understand how to deploy it in a way that would um, build a sustainable business. And and today, it's very different in the sense that I would say any of the brands that I've invested in recently um, or the brands that we work with, um, you know, honestly, a lot of just really the newer brands, because, because everybody's kind of seen how that happened, um, everybody tends to build more sustainably. So there's now a focus of being profitable on your first purchase. There's a focus of, you know, we're not, we're not measuring success by, you know, how much revenue can we hit per month, you know, even if that requires blowing through cash to get to that revenue number. It's more about are we profitable on first purchase? For every dollar we spend, what are we making back? Is it $2? Is it $3? So you're saying people actually care about profit now, Nick? People care about profit. Wow. Would you think... Freaking never VC world actually wanting profit out of things. Well, it also came because a lot of the VCs just stopped funding yeah. a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands. So even a company like you know Black Wolf Nation, which is a men's skincare brand, you know they basically started bootstrapped. It's the most like aggro company. <laughs> yeah. Black, Wolf Nation. Black Wolf Nation. It'll make you care about skincare. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But they went, you know, they went the complete opposite direction of a lot of the other maybe competitors or even just general players in D to C. They didn't spend any money really on a branding agency. They focused completely on how do we make a product that is really good product? Um, how do we optimize our margins the most? Like how do we work with our manufacturer to make sure we get the most margin? When it came to fulfillment, they didn't just go to us, you know, one of the top three like D to C fulfillment companies. They said, hey, maybe we can actually like create our own little fulfillment center and save, you know, half the cost there. Um, and then when it came to, you know, even their marketing today, they focus on, you know, how are we profitable on every purchase, but also how do we just stay really direct with who we are and what we are and let, 
let um, let us grow sustainably versus, you know, we're trying to be the biggest men's skincare player in D2C or in general and blow a bunch of cash. Right. Um, so then so then as a follow-up to that, I was going to say they just raised their first round of funding recently, um, and it was for uh, a little over, I don't know if I can say it, basically seven figures. And, um, and what they did was they had kind of an institutional player lead it. They had Moroccan oil, which is a massive hair care or a skincare and hair player, um, put the main check down. And then they went this avenue of instead of going and getting traditional funds, they said, we're going to go tap everybody who we think can be helpful and bring them in to help us. So people like myself, people like Austin Reef from Morning Brew, people like Brian Sugar, who runs Group 9 and Pop Sugar, um, and basically put together this hmm. almost this SWAT Same team. guy who does Pop Sugar does Group 9? Yeah, he's the president of Group 9. Pop Sugar got acquired by Group 9. Interesting. So basically, he's assembled this army of people who are extremely invested in wanting this company to succeed. And, you know, we can get together on on weekend Zoom calls or, um, you know, they work with the Sharma Brands team now because I can deploy my resources against helping them. Um, And basically, that's what I've seen start to happen a lot recently where – the, it's it's less VC funds and it's more, you know, find an anchor or find people who put, uh, you know, maybe half the size down, half the check. Right. And then the rest of it's filled with strategic people who can be extremely helpful. Right. Yeah. Mm. So many good nuggets. Okay. Before people get mad at me, let's start with the questions. Let's do it. Sure. First question from Stuart. What are the must haves before launching a CPG company? Community, brand different brand differentiation why wow, i can't say that word content etc um it's a good question Stuart. i would say immediately you want to validate that there's actually product market fit so you want to understand if what you're selling or what you're trying to sell um resonates with people and so you know my favorite way the easiest way to do this is you go to unbounce.com you get a free two-week trial what is that? Unbounce.com. Un- unbounce? Yeah. Okay. Unbounce. And you sign up, you build a landing page, you put photos and copy of what you're building, um, and you spend, let's say, you know, $150 on driving ads to it. You can use Facebook ads. It's probably the fastest way to do it. And you, you try to understand, are people converting when they get to your site? If you send, you know, 250 people to the site, how many of those 250 actually put their email in right. to get updates or find out when you launch? Um, if you have an audience, then you can easily go to Twitter and do the same thing. You just ask or you put it out there. You put a link out there um, and basically try to judge what the reaction is um, for better or worse. And that might save you from launching a brand that um, that gets no traction after you've already invested so right. much into it. Right. Good stuff. Divi asks, what are some easy creative ways to increase email signups? On your website. So maybe you have that traffic, but people aren't signing up. Um, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit is a pop-up with, you know, a discount. So that's um, that could be a 10% off. It could be sign up for free shipping. It could be get 15% off. Um, and then other than that, maybe it's a piece of content that you can only get through email. So maybe it's... Um, exclusive. Exactly. And so, so maybe, you know, it's kind of like the give and take. You have to give something in order to get something out of it. Love that. 
at why not review asks i'm 30 years old how can i tap into e-commerce in today's world how should i start my passion is fitness so maybe to make this a little bit more interesting what are some gaps that you see in the fitness space that people haven't filled yet um there's been a lot of products in fitness with direct consumer with peloton mirror tonal Mm -hmm. there's a new one around boxing that just came out um, so maybe it's one of those spaces that's already pretty saturated. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> saturated. Um, and and you, you would be going up against brands that have a ton of funding, right. right? So you have to do something that they could necessarily not rip off right away. It's still possible. I mean, I just invested in a company called Levels Health, which tracks metabolic fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's this patch I'm wearing on my arm here. Wow. And what does that do? It basically, Wait, it's let a... Me see. Yeah. <clears throat> It's a ongoing glucose monitor, so it monitors your blood sugar at all times. And so depending on what you do, what you eat, what you drink, how you sleep, your stress levels, you can essentially like understand how to optimize your life. Mm. Um, I would not want that on me the past few months. Yeah, it would be all over You'd the place. be like, you're about to die. What are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but back to his question, to get into this space, I think – you know, um, I don't think there's any blogs or YouTube videos you can watch. I think it's jumping the easiest way and the way pretty much I feel like I've done it is you jump on Twitter and you start jumping into people's replies and you start DMing people. Um, you know, there's a, there's a new app, audio app called Chalk, okay. where it's similar to Clubhouse, but it's not exclusive. So you can jump into these D2C growth rooms. You can jump into product rooms. It's basically just networking. And I think, I guess in my opinion, Twitter is the easiest place to do it. Mm-hmm. We're both big fans of Twitter. We are. Okay. At Carol Forden asks many things. And she's she's already using all the acronyms. So Love she, it. You know we'll, she's we'll in it. We'll break down the acronyms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This is a lot, so maybe you can just choose a few, or sure. we'll break it down each one. How to define a tight target audience and persona. How to determine which benefits will set you apart from the pack and how to communicate these succinct, succinctly. <laughs> Sarah Peachy has a very select amount of words that yeah. she can say. <laughs> um, how to get PMF by segmentation of the TAM. Mm-hmm. So what, the, what does that mean? Dissect that for me. So PMF is product market fit of the TAM, total addressable audience, or total addressable market. Okay, so let's start with that one. How to get to PMF by segmentation of the TAM. What does that even mean, Nick? It's honestly a very confusing question, but I'm going to attempt to answer it. Okay. It's basically asking PMF of the TAM. So I guess trying to understand... And I think it connects to like her first who to question. Pay attention to, yeah, basically. I think it goes to her first question, which is how do you identify who is your customer, right. basically? Um, you know, I, I would go back to the idea of a landing page, and um, there's two ways to build a brand. One is you come up with an idea, you put it out there, and you try to understand who is that audience. So that would be using, it could be using a tool like Facebook ads, it could be using tools like Reddit, jumping into threads. Um, and basically trying to understand like who, what kind of category of people, what kind of demographics, maybe what age, gender, et cetera, is your product for. Um, the reverse of that is if like you were to launch a brand, right? You would, you would already know based on your following, what is it that people want? It's exactly how Glossier launched. So they launched with Emily Weiss was a, um, she had her own site called intothegloss.com and 
she basically said, hey, I'm going to launch a cream. What do you want in the cream? And the comments basically have what Glossier's first products were. You know, that's awesome. So there, those are the two ways to do it. the The end, the end, all be all, I guess, is you have to basically listen. Yeah. So you have to put something out there, and then you have to listen to the reactions. Right. This is a good uh, segue to Carl's question at Carl's content. How valuable do you think it is of having a strong founder slash CEO have a presence on social media for the brand? Because I, I know a lot of people. We've seen both things. We've seen it work really well, and we've seen it be almost a detriment of the brand. I can think of one person right off the top of my head who was really, really good at filmmaking, but when that took over that person's life, trying to be as general as possible, (laughs) it didn't, at the end of the day, benefit the brand and the employees that they had and the investors. On the other hand it can do such a great job of gaining traction. And like you just said, if you have that audience already, that product market fit is already there because you're already so in tuned with a, you know, mass amount of people, thousands of people. So how, how important is that? Um, I always recommend, you know, if, if it's something that you can do sustainably, meaning like you are excited to do it or, or build an audience or, you know, speak on Twitter or whatever it is, I always encourage it. I think there's a lot of benefits that come with it. There is, you know, not only from a perspective of, um, of I'm going to find my customers, but, you know, for, um, for a brand we launched recently, when I blasted out on my personal text list that, hey, this is a brand I launched, we had a million dollar check wired within 24 hours wow. because that person was in my audience. And so it, um, it, it, it works both ways. I mean, then there's a brand like Caraway where, you know, the CEO Jordan, um, I don't even think he's on Twitter or really has like an Instagram presence, but the brand is still doing just as fine. So there's, I mean, there's ways to play it both ways. If you can do it and if it's something you're capable of doing, I think it's great. Um, this past week there was a guy, Kevin Lee, um, who's another, he's launching this company called Emmy Foods. Um, which is another portfolio company, but he did a Twitter thread, one on Oatly and one on Moshe Lisi, Marshmallows Manager. You know, both got, I don't know, probably 10,000 retweets. Wow. And so, you know, that probably ended up driving people to a site to then sign up, and now he's building his own. So what, what is Oatly's secret? What did he dissect in that Twitter thread? I, why I do didn't people, even read it, to be honest. <laughs> why do people care so much about oat milk? I think, I think it's, it's gross. It's a new fad. <laughs> Yeah, I took one sip of it in my coffee, and I was like, excuse me, what? Yeah, it's I'll quite stick thick, to my as almond they would milk. say. Yeah, yes. I'm an almond milk guy. Yeah, it wasn't until John that I realized how gross real milk is. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, only calves are supposed to drink <laughs> yeah. cow milk, <laughs> you know? Um, I'm going to make a lot of people mad with that, I feel like. Anyways, okay, we've talked a lot about landing pages. Mm-hmm. So, Floris asks, you guys with your names, Floris, what a beautiful name. He asks, how to determine if your landing page is appealing to target to your target audience and thus drive traffic and sales? So since we've talked so much about a landing page, you said, hey, in one page, tell your story, mm-hmm. have a direct uh, call to action. What does that actually look like? Like, do you have one graphic, one picture only? How long can you scroll on that page? Mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm sure you have quite a bit of data on that. 
Yeah, I mean, we we so the the thing is is that there's no like one size fits all for it. Basically, what you want to do is again going back to that red carpet example. If your pers- if your customer or potential customer lands on the page, you need to every time they use their two fingers and scroll, you need to be answering their questions that pop up in their head. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, a good a good flow um, or a good one people can check out is just judy.co slash TV. That was one that we just put up for the purpose of TV. Um, but typically, a really strong landing page has, you know, you have a hero, which which explains what the product is. Maybe it's a product shot, an assortment of what you're selling. But it, it in words-wise, it, it explains to that person what they're getting in very simple terms. So I always say you want to speak as if you're speaking to a five-year-old. You don't want to use words that are overcomplicated or may require or extra Googling. Or you're just talking to Sarah Dietschy. Right. Because apparently I don't no cope well with big words. Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to very quickly explain you know, what, the, what, what your brand is or what you might be selling. You want to quickly explain why you're selling it. Why should somebody you know, use Judy or Drink Hint or whatever it is. Um, you want to give them some value. So maybe it's, uh, you know, if this is a landing page you're running with heavy traffic, maybe it's 10% off, maybe it's 20% off. After that, you want to figure out now that you've basically set it up, you've, you've introduced who you are, you've explained why you're something they should have, and you've given them an offer. Now you can use real estate to really go deeper, right? So you can go deeper. You can do things like comparison charts between your brand and other brands and why your brand's better, you can do things like add customer reviews. You can add social proof. You can um, you can basically add more content to further explain your point of why somebody should buy that product or whatever you're trying to sell there. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to kind of like test to see if it's working is you want to look at what your click-through rate is on the page itself. So if 100 people come to the page and, you know, 25 people go through, that's a pretty good number. You know, I think anything, honestly, over 10% is pretty solid. Um, obviously, you want to be in the late teens or 20s, but um, you're, the way you judge whether or not it's working is, one, you look at the click-through rate, so people landing and then going through. The second thing is you look at um, is, uh, you know, you can literally go to hotjar.com. You can sign up for a free account. You get a Pixel. And you put that on your landing page, and you can literally look at recorded user sessions mm-hmm. with their mouse of where they're scrolling, what is their mouse hovering over. What is that called? Hot what? Hot jar. H-O-T-J-A-R Hot dot com. jar. Yep. And it's completely free. And you can look at anything from scroll I'm depth sure maps. I'm sure they're just collecting all of the data. All the data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Whenever uh, someone is free, I'm like, ah. Yep. You know something's going on. Yep. Um, but you can basically see where people's mouse goes. You can see what they're clicking. You can right. see how far down they scroll. You know, a lot of times when uh, we were at Hint, we would basically spend 30, 40 minutes a day watching what mm. people are doing when they come to the site. Oh, did they find that this section halfway down the page was more interesting That's than powerful, the one yeah. near the top? Not shining Maybe we away should move from it up. that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's less about like looking at data and more about just understanding what are people actually doing. Right. So some of the the last question I feel like I can kind of take, and then I want your Amazing. take on audio and podcasts and all the things. Since this is episode 101, Yo Girl has been at it for a minute. So 
at Holly Shannon asks monetizing my podcast. And I've had such a journey with this because I started the podcast not in a way of like, oh, this is another way to make money. I obviously love having conversations with people and it's really valuable to me in that these are basically just like my coffee dates with people. Right. Everyone gets something out of it. You get something that you can share with your audience. So it's productive for both people. It's fun for me. It was easy to hand off to an editor because it's not as demanding as my main channel videos. So, of course, I'm losing a bit of money every month, but, like, it's good. It's all good. Fast forward 100 episodes later, I'm like, okay, let's try to, like, actually monetize on this attention or at least just break even, right? right? That's the goal right now. And so I've learned a lot about it. And as someone who kind of entered through the side of YouTube and the influencer marketing, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter first, that always came extremely easy for me because usually it's me just handling inbound requests because I found myself in a unique position of being in tech that is already a very lucrative field and also having a unique niche in it to where I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not a typical tech YouTuber, (laughs) but I'm a little bit more lifestyle driven. So I'm not exactly tied to every single new phone, every single new computer. I'm going to talk what I want to talk about. I work in my life stuff. If I want to make a productivity video about a software I'm using, I do it. And it seems like my audience is pretty receptive because they they care about me right. at this point, right. right? So I've worked up to that level to where, you know, monetizing the YouTube channel has never been a problem because in the beginning also I had Adobe pay for my salary for a year for me to just figure that right. all out and set that up, right? So I've had a lot of preparation on that side. So I was coming into the podcast space thinking, oh, it'll be easy. It'll be easy, right? Podcasting isn't a new thing. It's been around for 15 years, and there's already a established way that people do ads. And it was honestly pretty shocking, and the CPMs are crazy low. It's almost a slap in the face if people want, if they want like 20,000 of my most loyal fans and when they tell me the cpms it's almost worth just not even taking the five hundred dollars because it's like what yeah yeah, like i pay someone you know 250 just to edit the podcast like it's just it's one of those things where you have to have so many downloads in order to start those conversations that monetizing a podcast is very difficult and so this is why There's many things to unpack there. But one, start a podcast because it builds a community. It builds those thousand true fans. And it's going to do more for you relationally in the fields you're in. If it's an interview show, if if it's just you and maybe you bring in someone every now and then, you're building those relationships in your field that will be invaluable. I would never think that I would be able to sit down with Linus of Linus Tech Tips for two plus hours to pick his brain. Right. Crazy, right? And that was super enjoyable for me. Helped everyone in that situation. Helped my audience. Whatever. So you have to look at it as not necessarily a money-making machine, right? Right. But the flip side is there is a ton of money in podcasts. And as you seeing, everyone wants a slice with the mm-hmm. Spotify exclusive, with companies like this buying up the you know podcast tech companies. 
And so now everyone is so hungry for content, it's a good place to have an established audience. So what I've learned though, is there's basically one or two ad houses, literally only one or two, big, big, big companies that get all of the top level ad money. So you have the Squarespaces, the Caspers of the world. They only have one company they go to that say, hey, here's $10 million for podcast spend. Then that company goes to about 100 different ad network companies. And they say, okay, we're going to take 40% of that. The middleman is just insane. So now there's two middlemen involved. And then those people actually go to the people who are making the content. And so by the time it reaches the actual podcast, there is such little money left that the only people who are actually getting the ads as well are these big networks because it makes sense. It's much easier to say, okay, uh, is it Ear Media? What are they called with the Office Ladies podcast and all of the Ear something or I'm not sure. something. Something similar. Something, something. They have 30 podcasts with a ton of celebrities. I'm sure they get 100, 200 million downloads a month. So it's very easy for those two middlemen for it to end up there because, okay, that's super easy to break down. You get X amount of money for that many downloads. Boom. Then it splits up in between all the podcasts underneath the network. So because it's already taken so much work to get in between those two middlemen, that network isn't going to go to individual podcasts and do all of that work. They're only giving money to big networks. And so that's where the conversation gets interesting because as a YouTuber, we we have um, learned to not trust uh, multi-channel networks. Right. Because they take 10% of your profit and don't do anything for you. Completely useless. Most multi-channel networks. So to my surprise, when it comes to podcasts, it's actually one of the few ways that you're going to get podcast money. So how I've been doing it right now is just because I already have existing relationships with YouTube. So I can work it in to my YouTube ads. But you'll find that a lot of times those companies like Squarespace... Their section of the company that does YouTube ads doesn't even completely separate. So they're not tacking on a podcast ad because they don't even do that in-house. So there's a lot of companies who won't even do that. So I say all of this to where if you can't get to the point where you have tens of thousands of downloads to make it attractive to be a part of a network or create a network. That's what I'm trying to ideate on right now, scooping up all these different YouTubers to form our own network. You will not monetize your podcast. So you either have to create your own product to where you can rock that every single week. Okay, you're providing amazing value to your audience that, hey, of course they're going to check out that mug that you're selling. Of course they're going to check out that XYZ that you're selling. So you either have to create your own ask, maybe think about it differently. If you're, you want to push to your email newsletter, you know, other ways that you monetize, maybe right. it's your YouTube channel. You can use that as a means to push to those things. But for people who get into a podcast and think that it's going to be a moneymaker, and especially if it's nothing unique and it's not a narrative podcast, if you're going to start another interview podcast and think that you're going to just be rolling in the dough, just, you're slash. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my little podcast diatribe as I'm looking down upon 100 episodes as I, I reflect and I have learned a lot. 
Um, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Just a perspective change uh, yeah. needs to happen. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, the other thing that's really tough with podcasts on the advertising side is the actual attribution of what sales are coming from podcast because it's not necessarily something you can click on directly, right? So you have to... Buried in those notes. Right. It's buried in the notes. It's, you have to have um, a very clear URL that they can say. Right. Or you just have to have a really smart listener who knows how to dig through all the notes. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, there's then there's another layer. So that's one challenge. Another challenge is... Um, and this is probably why podcasting can be efficient is because the rates are so low sometimes. But the other challenge is finding you know, a host or a podcast that truly does resonate with whatever your brand is. Right. Right. So if, if, um, you know, if a like paint company came to you and said, we'll give you, you know, $10,000 an episode, you'd be like, that's great, but they're not going to get any sales out of it because maybe your audience doesn't need to buy paint. Um, and so, so that's the other thing that, that makes sense. Exactly. And it, it takes, I can just say from experience on the brand side, it does take, a pretty solid amount of testing dollars to get to that point where you really understand what are the channels or the networks or the hosts or the shows that that actually produce results. And it's never the ones that you just think are going to be the ones, or sorry, it's never the ones that you might just think are going to drive you all the revenue actually end up driving the revenue. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they end up being very niche or very different, like kind of out of the left field type of podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts? I, I listen to a couple and I'll selectively listen. If I see somebody on a podcast, then I will listen. Cause I'm interested in what people, like what type of ads that they listen to, because I'm trying to re redo how I do them in that it's the opposite of YouTube where YouTube, everything for me is very personality driven. I hope that if they're interested in the video title or me, they're going to stay. Let's have a fun time talking about this ad. Right. Podcasting as a consumer, I find to be so skip, right? different because you either skip or you know that they're so consistently quick that I'll just stay and listen. Right. So I had the biggest epiphany when I was listening to um, at Jason on Twitter. He's a VC guy. Cal Canis. Yeah. He has a ton of podcasts. <coughs> so he so consistently does his podcast in the most short, succinct way that I now I'm like doing my makeup or whatever. I'm just, it's too much trouble to press the skip. So I actually listen to all of his ads because I know they're going to be done within a minute. Right. And I've actually had moments where I'm like, oh, I should actually check that out. Interesting. So now I'm like, okay, I need to have a flow with my ads where people know they are 59 seconds to a T Mm -hmm. to where they know what to expect. If they want to skip it, they can skip it. But if I can just inject a little bit of personality to where it's it's not terrible to listen to, but they know they know what to expect. To where okay, might as well right. support Sarah. We'll we'll see what she's promoting if it's relevant to my life. But they know what to expect. Right. That's what I've learned with just me as a consumer of podcasts. Yep. Um, that's been helpful. And on the flip side too, podcasting is not something where you can you know buy an ad for one episode of Caller Daddy and expect sales right. to blow up. It's something that requires really high frequency mm-hmm. for it to work yep. because if if you just come on and every other day again. you're mentioning a different brand, 
you know, people are just going to be like, oh, you know, your listeners are going to be like, good for Sarah. She's making that money. But it's not something that, you know, kind of comes through. Right. And if, you know, they have, okay, the whole month of August, then, oh, you can take those four minutes now instead of a minute and really tell that story. Exactly. And have it have kind of like a arc where maybe at the end of the fourth episode, like, oh, of course, I'm going to go to squarespace.com slash Sarah Dietschy and save 10% off my first purchase of domain or website. I've said that so many times. Um, they're not sponsoring this podcast, but you could go there you if go you want. <laughs> Shout out to Squarespace. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on. Thank Can you. you. Share your number again for the people who want that deck. That deck. All you have to do is text Peachy to 917-905-2340. Amazing. And you can follow at Mr. Sharma. Follow Nick on Twitter. If you want to keep up with all of his smartness on there, Nick, thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure. We'll have to do number four. Soon. With Soon. David. With Maybe David. Maybe with John, too. That would be fun. Also, congratulations. Thank you. We don't know when we're going to get married now. Sometime soon. Uh, Maybe a Zoom Pandemic. Wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored <Gosh>. by. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sponsored by Zoom. Um, that would be so amazing. We'll have to do that. The question is, do we feel comfortable being in a room with four people? Right. I've always thought about that. On the other end, I think it's so awkward. Yeah. New York is crushing it right now. And it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, no one's throwing ragers. We know still not to party. Unless you're Jake Paul. (laughs) Unless you're Jake Paul. Yeah, exactly. Which is insane since he's in a place that the cases are only skyrocketing. It's not even like they had a moment of, okay, we can breathe now. It's just going straight up. Straight up. Oh, Jake, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> but yeah, that, that'll that be fun. We'll have to do that uh, in a few months, maybe, if New York continues to crush it. Uh, and Nick, thank you so much for being on. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. And guess, guess what, y'all? I'm finally, finally paying attention to the YouTube channel again. I know I say that a lot, but now I've separated the YouTube clips channel and the full episodes to where if you only care about video, of course, you got to come here for the audio every single Monday for that exclusive juicy audio episodes. But if you can wait the next week, I do post the full video episode to the dedicated full episode channel. Now there's so many things you have to worry about the podcast. now. So many. I just, I just always want to make sure to, you know, grow that audio audience because it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother ball game. I don't want people to be, so committed to me on YouTube that they can't follow me on Apple Podcasts. Right, and what ha- what if something happens to YouTube? Exactly. You know, then I'll have my homies on Apple Podcasts. Exactly. Shout okay, Apple. Nick, thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>